Good morning. If everybody will find a seat, as soon as you get a biscuit or something, we'll go ahead and get started. And if any of you don't know me, my name's Chris, uh, and I will be uh, leading the class today. Jim is upstairs uh, teaching my class, and we're kind of excited about that. Matthew 13, uh, if you want to turn uh, in your Bibles there, we will be looking directly at Scripture at one point, provided that I don't run out of time. And uh, that's a real possibility because the passage here is just is kind of chock full. If you heard the analogy that the Bible is a lot like the ocean, um, that, that really applies especially to Matthew chapter 13. Uh, if we go to the ocean, my wife Lisa likes to lay on the beach in the sun and read a book all day long, which drives me nuts because there's all this cool water there you can go and play in and she has no interest. Uh, when my kids were little, they'd like to run up to the edge of it, and as the, the waves would come and hit their toes and get them wet, they'd scream with excitement and run back out, whereas I like to go as far out as I can and see if I can make it back and dive down and see what I can see. And at the same time, I know there's Navy submarines out there that are 10,000 leagues under the sea, as it were, and that's kind of the Word of God. You can, you can set at the edge, you can get it, and it's all good. It's all the same ocean. It's all the same Bible. Uh, but you can go as deep as you want, or you can even stay shallow and enjoy it. And Matthew 13 is that way. You can just read across it and get the parables uh, at, at a glance, and man, they, they speak to you. Or you can get into them and really see what's going on there um, and, and dig deeper and enjoy that as well. So we're going to try to go a little bit deeper this morning and talk about the context of Matthew 13, uh, why Jesus spoke it, when he spoke it, how he spoke it, uh, and the intended outcome. So I hopefully, hopefully I'll make that all clear and not confuse you further as we go along. Uh, before we get started, though, let's bow quickly and just ask the Lord's blessing on our time. Father God, I love you and I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for this group who comes out uh, diligently and faithfully on Sunday morning to, uh, Lord, give up a time of rest so that they can open the Word of God and hear, uh, Lord, and study. And, and, and Father, just prayerfully consider what you've given us, this great gift, the Bible. Uh, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would guide me. Father, help me to speak clearly. Uh, Father, speak to the hearts this morning. Father, that they not hear me, uh, anything that I have of myself. But Lord, I just ask that the Word of God would uh, be rich and full and, and received in each of our hearts. Father, we pray this morning for Jim as well, that he would be able to uh, speak through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, lead that class, Father, and, and work with those young Christians. Father, that they might understand the Word of God even further and be prepared to lead their families. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 13. I'm giving an introduction. I'm just going to read through that part. Uh, if you look at the top of your page, and actually I'm even going to start with the title. When I first sent the, the notes to Jim, which <laughs> I did last minute as I do most things, uh, he this is not what I sent, by the way. My stuff looks a lot more like Daryl's and less like Jim's, and he dressed it up, and I told him he's making me look a lot smarter than I really am. 
but he's got this neat format laid out there in the pictures at the top. But when he did it, he sent he, the first at first just the title, Parables, Presentation, and Priority, and left off the Matthew 13. And I told him that was fine, I, I, I could make the distinction in class, but Matthew 13 actually needs to be a part of this title. Because what happens in Matthew chapter 13 is the parables here stand out from the other parables that Jesus gave in their, in, in their presentation and their priority. And, and really in just the parables themselves. Uh, and so with a little bit of a careful eye, we want to take a look at that and kind of explore what's going on in Matthew chapter 13. Uh, and in the introduction I put to grasp properly the concepts presented in Matthew 13, we must first consider the context leading up to the chapter as well as the events that follow the chapter. So leading up to Matthew chapter 13, uh, specifically in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus reveals himself as Lord of the Sabbath and thereby he claims his deity. Now, one thing you have to remember when you read the Gospels or any, any book of the Bible, but especially in this case the Gospels, we're using hindsight. And we're not Jewish, and we don't live in Israel. We're in Chattanooga, Tennessee in the year 2014, and we have all the knowledge of the gospel and the church age and even the end times. We have such an advantage over the people that were there when Jesus spoke these parables. It's really unrealistic. If we don't go back into the context of what's going on, we're going to miss the point of the whole chapter. And so in Matthew chapter 12, when Jesus proclaims himself to be Lord of the Sabbath and accepts the deity that is rightfully his, uh, the, the, Jew, the, the leadership, just they come unglued. Uh, they reject him, and, they, and they, from that point on is when they want to kill him. You see, we've got this idea sometimes in our head that they always hated Jesus, and that's just not true. When Jesus was born in the manger, people didn't hate him. They weren't against him. They, uh, and that's a whole other lesson, but I'm not going to get into all that. Uh, but the, the fact of the matter is, Herod hated him, but he hated everybody. Anybody that even used the word king, he wanted to kill him because he was just that crazy. He was a nut. I mean, you think our leaders are crazy. Do some study on Herod sometime. Uh, he, he just wanted to kill everybody. Uh, he even had it planned to kill people after he was dead they would assume his throne. There was a plan in play. I promise you, the guy was crazy. But when Jesus accepts his deity, that's when the Jewish, uh, the religious leaders really turn against him. And if you follow up after uh, he gives the parables in Matthew chapter 13, he goes to Nazareth, his hometown. They even reject him there at that point. So what's going on here? Well, it's spiritual warfare for one thing. Jesus is on his way to the cross, and it's, it's fastly approaching. It's about to happen, and so the intensity of the spiritual warfare, and that's, that's the other thing you've got to realize. When we talk about the kingdom of God, it's a real kingdom. It's not just an analogy. There's a king, there are servants, there are soldiers, there's a hierarchy. There's an enemy. There's a dark kingdom, and it, and it has a leadership and a hierarchy and soldiers. And there's a real plan in place for these two kingdoms to clash and one to try to take over the other. And this is what's going on. It's spiritual warfare. And so Matthew 13 is right in the middle of all this, and it kind of stands out for that reason. Um, 
the events following Matthew chapter 13. John the Baptist is beheaded. Uh, Jesus is transfigured. His triumphal entry into Jerusalem. See, he's headed to the cross. The upper room, the Lord's Supper, the final Passover feast, whatever you label it as, that, that takes place. And then, of course, his trial, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and then the ascension. So all this stuff is kind of like turn up the heat on a burner. If you, if you start in Matthew chapter 1 and start reading, you have his birth. Uh, if you, and if you're just doing the chronological study of the Gospels, you have all these things. He, he goes at the age of 12 and he, and he teaches in the temple and they all marvel at him. And then you have these years where you don't hear from him until he turns about 30 years of age, we assume. And then he starts to teach and to lead. And for the first couple of years, he's doing miracles. He's teaching. Everybody likes him. He's a pretty good guy. He's, he's not threatening anybody. But at this point, especially in Matthew chapter 12, when he starts saying, okay, yeah, I am Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the guy. I am the Messiah. I, in fact, I'm not just, I am God. The Jews go nuts, and they want to kill him. They want to get rid of him. And when I say Jews, I'm talking about the majority, and specifically the leadership, the Pharisees, the scribes, those, those types. Okay? And so right in the middle of all this is Matthew chapter 13. And Jesus is going to speak these parables. Uh, if you look in uh, something that's very interesting, right at the last part of Matthew chapter 12, uh, at verse 46, uh, while he's still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brother stood outside seeking to speak with him. And then one said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside see, uh, seeking to speak with you. Now, now listen to this answer, because this just if you just take this portion by itself, it's a little strange. I mean, if my parents came and they really needed to speak me, to me and interrupt my class, that would be okay because it's my family. And most of you would be the same way. If they felt it was important enough to come and seek me out, I'd probably stop and leave you guys. I, I like y'all all right, but that's my family. You know what I'm saying? And so they come to interrupt Jesus from his teaching and look at his answer in 48. But he answered and said to them, uh, uh, to the one who told him, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. In other words, here's my family. Listen, verse 50. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So he's making this transition here. And of course Jesus always had this plan. And he always led his disciples. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying it's getting more intense. He's building to the cross. He has a very limited window now to prepare those who are going to establish his church. Right? Acts chapter 1 and 2, Pentecost happens. The church is literally put in place. Before that time, there was no church. Had you gone through Jerusalem and said, Hey, where's church? I want to go to church this Sunday. They'd have looked at you like you were crazy because there was no such thing as a church. And so Matthew 13 is this window that opens up the truth to the, uh, the church age. As Gentiles, we ought to get crazy excited about the parables in Matthew chapter 13 because they are for and about us. Do you, do you get that? 
When, when this whole thing started, so way back in Genesis, it's all about the Jewish nation. Or at least in chapter 12 where Abraham was called out to start the Jewish nation. And yes, we had a way to God as Gentiles before uh, the church because you could go and accept Judaism. You, you could do those things. But when the church happens, the door just flies open. And we, who are not His chosen nation, have free access to God Himself. It's an incredible truth. And that's what Matthew chapter 13 is all about. It's about these parables are expressing the truth that the kingdom is for everyone and anyone who will accept it. And it's that simple, but yet it becomes also deep in the way that He gives them. And we'll see that as we go. If I don't keep babbling on and run out of time, that is. All right, so that's the context of it. Uh, the parables, there's seven of them in the chapter. Uh, he takes the time to explain at least two of them, and we're going to, again, time permitting, we're going to look uh, specifically at two of the parables. Uh, the parables create a mystery. Uh, we can see that if we look at verses 10 through 17. Uh, it's kind of funny that he gives the parables and he, and he, just, he just starts talking about them. And I, my temptation is always to come in and start this lesson by just telling you a farming story without any explanation or, or anything and just start talking about how my grandfather used to run the co-op and talking about seed and fertilize and all that stuff. And the response usually is, who's this cat? What's he talking about? That's, that's crazy. That's kind of what Jesus is doing. Now, earnestly, he's a much better speaker, obviously, and they know what he's about, so maybe it makes a little more sense, but I find it interesting that nobody asks for an explanation except the disciples. They just listen and go, okay, and then he sends them on their way. But at some point, the disciples come to him and say, Jesus, what, why are you speaking like this? Which tells us what? What, what does that give us an indication of? Something's different in the teaching, is it not? Because they've listened to him for two years at this point. But something he's done, something he said, these parables are different from the other parables because they never asked that question before this time. Not once did they come and say, okay, what does that mean? Now, they came once and said, teach us to pray, but that wasn't because of a parable. That was just a question they brought up. They wanted to know how to pray like him. That was from his example of prayer. But here he gives these lessons and he's teaching a multitude. After the multitude is sent away, they come to him and say, why are you speaking in these parables? And the, because he takes the time to explain the parables, they didn't understand the parables either. They were that vague. And so they, these parables present a mystery. And so the question in our mind should be, why is he speaking in a mystery? Because normally he doesn't do that. Think of the Sermon on the Mount. He speaks directly, doesn't he? Blessed are these, and blessed are they, and these are the kingdom of heaven, and all these things. And he's using very plain speech. But here, it's not the case. He changes his way of teaching. And so that should be a red flag to us as we read and study. The parables were spoken to the multitudes, they, they were purposeful. He had a purpose in doing so. The purpose, as we see, if, if we, as we read the chapter, 
Well, he reveals it. When he explains to the disciples, he says, it's not given to them. In other words, the multitudes were not supposed to understand it. They're just not supposed to get it. Why would Jesus give a lesson that he didn't want the whole multitude to understand? That seems almost cruel, does it not? It seems out of character for a loving God. So we should ask ourselves, why did he do that? What's the purpose? Well, he gives us the purpose. And if you look, verses 13 through 17, and we won't read the whole thing, but that's where he gives the answer. 13 and 14, he says, seeing they're not going to see it, and hearing they're not going to hear it. In other words, I've put it out there, but they're not going to get it. But now, wait a minute, the disciples didn't get it either, did they? What did they have to do to understand the parables? They had to ask. The scripture is clear. If you seek him, you will. It's all about the heart. It's not that Jesus was saying, here's something good, but you can't have it, multitude. Here's something that's great for some people, but no. It's not that. It's not that at all. And if you look at verse 15, he's quoting Isaiah, and, he, and he's fulfilling prophecy, which is the next sub-point. It's their, their concealment is prophetical. Verse 15 says, For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have closed. In other words, the multitude had really made a conscious choice. They had already decided they liked the miracles, but that's as far as they wanted to go. My, my wife, Lisa, she's got this terrible habit. She sings one line of a song over and over and over again, and just whatever gets in her mind. But it was beneficial this morning because there was a song that our last church used to sing, and part of the song goes, Give us more miracles if you're the Messiah. Feed us fresh bread each day. Or something, that's how she sings it anyway. <laughs> Who knows what the song really says? That's the multitude. That's what they liked about Jesus. Hey, the miracles, yeah, we're all about it. The fresh bread, free, free bread, that's it, free bread each day. They love that. But this whole kingdom thing and everybody else is in and, you know, we got to leave Judaism? No, we're not about that. They made their choice. They're, they're, they heard the same lesson but their heart wasn't willing to seek. And that's what he's talking about. That's what it means. The parables were explained to the disciples. Um, through these parables, Christ is revealing the true kingdom. Through the parables, he's revealing the true kingdoms. And if you're filling in blanks so far, I've, uh, the parables create a mystery. The parables were spoken to the multitudes. The parables were explained only to the disciples. Through these parables, Christ is revealing the true kingdom. Now, why did I put true kingdom? Okay, and I, I don't want that to be a, a confusion to you. Nothing has changed. But here's why I put it. I believe, and so do many of the commentators that I read, believe that, and, and common sense would even indicate this, when Jesus comes on the scene, where is Israel as far as politically? Who is in charge of the nation of Israel? Rome is, right? It's their empire. How many empires have there been up to this point? I mean, 
if you count Egypt, you got the Egyptian, you got the Assyrian, you got... They're always in captivity, it seems, right? Now, I know we're talking about a large span of time. They had their, their times of freedom, but it's like, at this point, they've got to feel like they know their history. They've got to feel beat down and just controlled. Well, here comes Jesus, and he can raise the dead, he can heal the blind, he can hand out free bread. If I'm an Israelite in this time, and he's talking about a kingdom, what am I thinking? We're going to overthrow Rome, right? It's easy, because if I send a hundred soldiers up against a thousand, as they get killed, Jesus comes through and says, get back up, get back up, fight again, fight again. <laughs> oh, arrow in the eye, here, here's a new one. You know, go again. Now that seems silly, but think about it. If you lived in this time in this, and you're ready, you want to throw off Rome, who controls the whole world, what's your best option? It's this Messiah. So that's their thought of the kingdom. The kingdom is, the Jews are going to rule. I mean, it's worse than SEC football, if you can think about it. I mean, they are crazy about this. And they believe this is going to be the kingdom, but yet Jesus will never step up and do it. He won't play their game, as it were. And so he's starting to reveal, here's what the kingdom is really going to be. And he's really not concerned whether they like it or not. I love that. I've, just, I've got just enough jerk in me that I really enjoy that point. <laughs> he just doesn't care how they feel about it. This is how it's going to be. It's his kingdom, and he's going to set it up his way. And so, first of all, he, through the parables, he's revealing that this kingdom is going to be available to all. Now, let's be careful here. Is the Jewish nation special to God, yes or no? Absolutely. Never, never, never will I detract from that. Is God through with the Jewish nation because we're in the church age? No. He is not. He has a plan in a specific place, and they are dear to his heart and to his soul. So let's not confuse the two issues. But what is happening is that he is saying his kingdom is going to be freely open to the Gentile. He's going to, in fact, he's going to use this faction of the Jewish nation, these disciples, these apostles, these, and when I say disciples in that sentence, it's not just the twelve, it's all the loyal disciples. He had many disciples, but specifically the twelve apostles that are going to lay out church doctrine, that are going to write the New Testament, that are going to do all these things, establish churches, and of course Luke is included there. He's got a plan to use them to open up to the Gentile. Why? Because the Jewish nation, as a large part, has rejected him. Seeing, they will not see. Hearing, they will not hear. Why? They didn't like his kingdom. They wanted their kingdom. See? And that's what's going on here. That's why the parables don't make sense to them. In their context, in their day, it doesn't add up. And so they just don't seek it further. The disciples come and say, we don't get it, but would you explain it to us? What's the difference? Their heart's willing. And really, that's the only difference. They weren't the smartest guys in the room, as it were. We're talking about fishermen. I can relate to these dudes. I come in here... And I know that Terry gave a lesson recently on the Jewish wedding. How many were here for that? 
Was that not awesome? I sat through part of that class in, in one of the shoe classes, and it's just all this information comes. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. The light, it's like the light comes on. And I know there, there's people in here that are smart and educated. And, and as I stand here, you know, I, I drag hoes for a living. You ain't got to be intelligent to do that, you know. And it ain't like the movies. It ain't special. Trust me, it's just a job. Uh, anybody with a strong back and not much sense can do it. There's not much to it. I'm just telling you the truth. Okay? But, but, but where was I going with that? Anyway, I, I know where I'm at. The disciples, that was it. They're fishermen. They're not the smartest. See, I told you. They're not the smartest guys in the room. But yet they got a willing heart. Isn't that cool about our Savior? If you just care, if you're willing to get rid of yourself and accept whatever He gives in the way He gives it, you're in. That's all it takes. That, that just, man, I get chill bumps when I think of that. You think about who we are, and I'm leaving the outline for just a moment. Think about who you are for just a minute. Think of your own personal history, all your faults, all your failures, all your shortcomings. Now think about God in heaven who put Mars and Jupiter, all the stars, who spoke the earth into existence, who's building and preparing heaven. He looked down through all of that on this tiny little planet in a tiny little galaxy. And he found me and made me an ambassador. And I've had the privilege to tell others about Christ. It wasn't because he said, wow, Chris Cordes, whoo, got to have him. <laughs> it's ridiculous, isn't it? But because I said, yeah, whatever, however you got, whatever you lay out, if it, it's that simple, I'm allowed to be an ambassador. That's the disciples. They're not special. Oh, they become special. I get that, you know. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm like an apostle. No, no, no. But at this point especially, they're just, they're just the guys. The guys. And they're, they're made apostles. Wow, I'm running out of time. Is Jim serious about that time schedule? <laughs> is, that, is that real? All right, it will be available to all. It will be available for a certain age. And what I mean by that is a, a, a time period, the church age. Uh, to reject this kingdom will be awful. I'm on page two now. Now let's consider two of the seven parables. And I wanted to give table time to read through these and look at them, but we, we just time will not permit it. Uh, and I trust that you, you've studied them uh, this week. But the first one, the sower. And these are the two longest parables in the group. The sower... Uh, first of all, unlike the wheat and the tares, there's not much attention given to the sower himself or even the seed. They're just kind of, they're there. Um, but for some reason, in this parable, he wanted those to remain in the background. The seed, of course, is the Word of God. I think the sower, in the wheat and the tares, the sower is the, the Lord himself coming forth. Here, I think it's, it's more broad than that. I, I think it's all of us who will go out and actually sow the Word of God. 
I think it's nonspecific. But the emphasis here in this parable is the soul, okay? And I want you to turn your mind to soul winning, okay? We're talking about the kingdom of God. We're talking about spreading the kingdom of God. This is what it's about. It's, it's, we're getting out of this. It's not just going to be the Jewish nation. It's going to be for all of us. To the disciples, that's brand new. To us, it should be commonplace. We're part of that spreading. But now we have the responsibility because having eyes, hopefully we've seen. Having ears, hopefully we've heard. Now it's our job to become this sower. So what's most important? We need to know our soul. Oh, Lots of room there for farming analogies, but we don't have time for that either. But as he goes through, he gives different types of soul. The first one is the seed that's sown by the wayside. And this speaks of the waywardness of some. Some are just wayward. They're, um, they're superficially, the seed is superficially received. In other words, it comes in, and uh, this is the typical person that comes, and they hear the gospel, and, you know, that's a cool thing because Jesus loves everybody, and that's as far as it goes. And then they go away having not really received it, and Satan snatches it. It's satanically removed. This, this is just the people that, okay, Jesus is a good guy, you live your truth, I'll live my truth. That's who it's talking about. It's all superficial. The next we see this, the seed that fell amongst the stony places. And, and these are the, this is the weakness of some. Some just, the, their hearts are just so hard, sometimes so damaged. The seed just won't take root. They, it just won't accept. And, and it might spring up for just a little bit. And I call this an emotional response. I used to work at Lowe's. Uh, way back, uh, I still had hair then, as a matter of fact. It's been a while. And as a delivery manager, I walked out back into the corral there where it's all fenced in, and somebody had spilled some grass seed, some of the really nice grass, like you see on a golf course. And I don't know a lot about grass, and, but I know the difference between good grass and bad grass because when I walk across my yard barefoot, I have to do this because of thorns and rocks. <laughs> And this stuff's the kind you want to dig your toes in and do this kind of stuff. And this little patch of grass had found some water on asphalt now, on asphalt, and had sprung up into the most beautiful patch of grass. It was just, it was just gorgeous. I thought, man, that's amazing how that just grew on top of asphalt. That's incredible. You know, and then I went on with my day, and I kept walking by throughout the week, and I would see that. But something I realized is it went no further. You know, if you plant good seed on good ground, not only does it spring up, but it tends to spread, doesn't it? This had no opportunity to do that. And the first time a good, hard rain came, what do you think happened to my patch of grass? Washed away. Couldn't take deep root. It sprung up and it stood out. It was the only patch of grass there, and everybody thought, wow, or at least I did, thought, wow. But over time, with just a little bit of turbulence, it went away. This is the stony heart. They see it sometimes, and they make a big, big, and, and, and not, I, I'm not, I don't mean to be cruel here, but sometimes these are the loudest. They're the most excited. Oh, yes, this thing, this church thing, this, this God thing is awesome. This is great. And then you look around a month later, where are they? 
where did they go? They're kind of like a bottle rocket. And then it's gone. A whiff of smoke. That's the stony places. Next we see the thorny places. This is the worldliness of some. And this is America 2014. They are entangled with busyness. And by the way, this is the biggest danger to us. To me. Okay, I'll testify. I won't, I won't prophesy here. This is my biggest danger. Because there are a million things trying to get my time. And I have to make conscious choices. And so do you. If I don't want to become this entangled Christian, okay, and I understand here we're talking about sowing the gospel. In this context specifically, we're talking about trying to get the gospel to some. And to some, they're entangled with busyness. Busy, busy. Well, you know, I know we need to be in church. Now, I've heard this a million times. I know that I need to be in church, and I know I need to get my family in church, but we've got ball going on right now. I know, stepping on toes, but this it's the truth. The uh, we've got this going on. We we have to work this extra. We have to do this and this and this and this. And after all of that, then 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 we'll get in church. Then then we'll see what's going on with this God thing. That's thorny places. And, you know, I understand. I really, really do. I get it. Life's hard. If you're going to follow Christ, your bills don't get any easier to meet, do they? Your, your time, you don't get any extra time allotted to you, do you? You still get 24 hours a day, right? you got to sleep, you got to work, you got a family, you got things that have to get done. But I'm telling you, if you don't make a priority, you won't follow Christ. It has to be a priority. So these that are entangled, it, the soul just can't take root. And I am, wow, I'm out of time already. i got to get to the last parable, the wheat and the tares, and i got to fly through this. Because I'm supposed to be done right now. Okay, quickly, quickly. Wheat and the tares. He comes out, he sows. It springs up. Something grows right along with the good seed. It's the tares. The workers come and say, Master, should we pull it up? He says, no, you can't. Why? Because the tares look just like the wheat. That's the thing. You don't know who's who. You can only know your heart. He says, wait, but at the time of the harvest, we'll pull them up and we'll, we'll throw the chaff in the fire. Then he takes the time. And I've never, Christ never did this before and he never did it again. He took the disciples aside specifically for this. And he, he gave the parables. He explained the parables. And then he goes with plain speak and he says, this is how it's going to be at the end of the age. This is the very last part. And he says, the angels are going to come forth. And they're going to find those that have not accepted the kingdom and they're going to throw them into the everlasting fire church that ought to break your heart you got family members you got friends you got people you see every day that you hadn't given the gospel to one time it's going to happen 
He gives them the awful truth and he says he's going to take them. The angels, he's specific. He says the angels are going to do this. They're going to be the ones. They're going to come. They're the reapers. They're going to take them and they're going to throw them in the, the, the everlasting fire, the lake of fire. The same place that's mentioned in the book of Revelation. He says there there will be gnashing of teeth. It's eternity. And then a line that just leaps off the page. He stops again and he says, Have you understood all these things? It was so critical to the Lord Jesus Christ that he went through all this trouble and then he said, Disciples, did you get that part? Do you understand? Before I, before I quit teaching, do you understand? This is not just an analogy. This is going to happen. Now what do we do with that? We're the ones who have it. You and you and you and I have this awful truth. You can sit on it or you can share it. But either way... The angels will come and they will reap the harvest. His kingdom will happen. Matthew 13.